day and welcome to another great message from Mr. Christian Outreach Church. We pray you'll be inspired and equipped by this teaching. For more information on Noosa Christian Outreach Church, please check out our website at noosacoc.org.au. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to Australia Day where men and women meet after breakfast for worship, worship, which is never of inferior quality. We pray for people, and if you are praying for people after church, please use chewing gum, especially if you have eaten chocolate during the service. If you need to use the amenities, they're at the rear of the building. I must say you all look like genuine people. I hear there's some sandwiches available in the cafe after the church services. I may actually put my bathers on a little later and take my drinks cooler to the beach for a swim with friends. They are a nice present that I received for Christmas. I'll need to stop at the petrol station on the way. Can you please bring your football today? Well done to the environmentalists who have kept our beach so beautiful. I wasn't looking at you then, Rich. <laughs> the environmentalists who have kept our beach so beautiful. You know, I think I may tell a small lie to my boss tomorrow and take a day off and have a bit of a lazy day. I may go to McDonald's. I hope the mosquitoes will go away and also that the postman is on time to deliver the paper so that I can keep up with what the politicians have been up to in the last week. Well, nice to see you all. Enjoy the rest of your day. You know, that's one way we could say it. But it's Australia Day. G'day. Cheers to Australia Day, where blokes and sheilas and all the devil dodges meet after brekkie to say beauty to God. And not in any bodgy way. Grab a chewy if you're a churchy prayer and you hit the chockey before, the dunny's out the back. Yous are all fair dinkum. Let's grab a sanger after. Actually might snavel the esky and don the budgie smugglers and hit the beach for a tea bag later. Got to stop at the servo too. Oi, bring your footy and my pluggers. I left them near yours at the barbie. Go the greenies. Is Macca's open to Moz? I'm going to chuck a sickie and be a bludger for the day. I wish those mozzies would rack off. Has the postie come yet? I want to see what those dirty pollies have been wrecking since last week. Anyway, cheers, big ears. Have a good arvo. You've got to get amongst it, don't you? You've got to get amongst it. And uh, who wants to be English? Come on. It's a beautiful year to be an Australian. We've demolished the English at the cricket. We demolished the Kiwis at the World Cup rugby. And uh, we're going to get slaughtered at the Winter Games by everybody on the planet, but that's okay. Because we're the sunny country. You know, um, a key part of our vision, which you would have heard last week, is about um, having our trust in, in the salvation that God has given us through Jesus Christ. And we know that our freedom is secured through belief in Jesus as Lord and confession of Jesus' resurrection. Now, there's a plethora of studies around the world. Now, plethora means plenty. And um, 
there are, there are plenty of studies around the world on you're my identity. Who am I? Who am I in Christ? Who am I in community? Who am I when I'm by myself? Who am I is one of the greatest questions that mankind asks. And it, and it, and it sends us towards discovering our origins. And then it, there's documents being written by origin called the origin of species, which, which kind of contradict what the Word of God says about origin. But we're obsessed with who we are and where we have come from. But today I want to do something a little different because... I believe this year that God wants us to get our focus off ourselves and put it on him. And the, the identity that we really need to discover this year is the identity of Jesus Christ. So today is about expanding our confidence in Jesus' identity. And we want to look at the power of prophecy and fulfillment to, to, um, to see that. You know, we've got an amazing prophetic team in this church and uh, we... We, we see them speak amazing encouragement and hope and, and bring great words to, to each of us. And I really believe that this year God's going to sharpen them even further. He's going to give them a new clarity. If you, if you have a prophetic unction in this house, I believe that God wants, he wants to sharpen that gift in you this year. Because he wants us to be people who foretell and foretell the good things of the kingdom of God. What is God saying? What is God doing? He wants us to tap into the prophetic voice that's in each of us. And I want to honor our prophetic team that is all around this place who, who diligently sow their hearts and their energy into delivering what God is saying to his people. So when we look at God's word, we discover that his way of doing things is speaking them into being. I think the original prophetic word was, let there be light. And what happens when God delivers a prophetic word? Well, it happens, doesn't it? God said, let there be light. He said, let there be mankind. He said, let there be so many things in creation that, that, that all exactly came to being exactly how he spoke of them. It's interesting, there are no books, no religious books on the planet that have the audacity to hang their track record, to hang their, their hope, to hang their value on their ability to predict what's going to happen in the future. The Bible has not missed one yet. So to begin our journey towards trust in his salvation, we need to gain a confidence in his written words. And as I watch the church worldwide battle with how, to, how the principles of the word interact with the state of society or the culture that we live in in this 21st century. You know, I, I'm challenged. You know, I've watched debates between, between Christians and atheists. And, um, and as soon as the Christian compromises what the word of God says in any way, they lose the battle. God doesn't want us to compromise based on our circumstance. He wants us to hold true to what the Word of God says. And he's very clear about what it means to add or subtract from the Word of God. He wants us to be people who declare his truth, not people who, who lubricate his truth. Do you know that the Bible contains 8,362 verses that predict something? 8,000 362 predictive verses. There are 1,817 specific predictions, about 737 different matters. The Bible is a book that predicts. The Bible is a book that prophesies, that speaks. And we know about the word of the Lord is it never returns to him void. So we know it always happens. So clearly the Bible is prophetic. 
And one of the main topics of the prophetic nature of the Word of God is the, is the coming of Jesus Christ. Here's what we know about the Old Testament. The Old Testament was translated into Greek over about a 15-year period, around 285 years B.C., so over that 15-year period, it, it actually happened in Alexandria. You've heard of the great library, Alexandrian Library. Well, the, the, the head of, of Alexandria at the time got, the, got 70 scholars to translate from Hebrew the Old Testament into Greek. So 285 years before Christ, the Old Testament was translated into Greek. So here's what's important. This is really important because the prophecies about Christ's coming life, about his death, about his resurrection were in circulation 300 years before Christ was even in existence. Not only in Israel either. They were in the great Alexandrian library who were the current rulers of the world. Now here's the thing. There's no real argument about Jesus' existence. Not many people will argue that Jesus actually existed, but there is a lot of argument about his identity. Who was this Jesus of Nazareth? See, it's the identity of, the identity of Christ that we hang our hats on. It's the identity of Christ that we live in liberty because of. And the enemy needs to... to to defeat Christ's identity. He's not worried about his existence. His existence is proven in history. His identity is what he wants to destroy. So we need to really understand the identity of Christ. And our goal is not to believe in Jesus' existence. It's to believe and confess that he is Lord of our lives. And if he is Lord, then our lives tend to look very differently. There are over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament, detailing the coming of the Messiah. And guess how many of them were fulfilled through Christ's life? Every single one of them. Every single one of them. He was to be born of David's family. He was to be born of a virgin in Bethlehem. He was to travel to Egypt, minister in Galilee and Nazareth. He'd be announced by a prophet in the wilderness. His mission would include the Gentiles. He would teach through parables, be rejected by the rulers of Israel. He'd have a triumphant entry into Jerusalem. He would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. He'd be given sour wine. Lots would be cast for his clothing. His side was pierced. No, none of his bones would be broken. He would be buried in a rich man's tomb. And he would rise again on the third day. All of these things were prophesied in the Old Testament that we know was in circulation at least 300 years before Christ was even born. He initiated the greatest revival of mankind ever and it has no signs of slowing down. This is what I want to say about the word. Every word, every letter, every comma is there on purpose, by design, for us to rediscover our relationship with our Heavenly Father through Jesus Christ our Lord. So I want to look at a few verses today, a few prophetic verses from the Old Testament so that we can actually gain some confidence in the Word of God and gain some confidence in the identity of Jesus Christ. 
See, not only does each of these prophetic words give us point to Christ's identity and, and who he's going to become as, as Messiah, it also gives us wisdom, it gives us, it gives us purpose, and it, and it teaches us all along the way. So our first one is from Micah chapter 5, verse 2. And it goes like this, But you, Bethlehem, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. This is one of the prophecies of old about Jesus Christ, and there's plenty in this. When we look at the Word of God, he wants us to go. He says, there's a, a, a great scholar said that each verse is like a cut diamond, and there are over 70 faces on each of those diamonds. So when we look at the Scripture, the, the revelation that is to come from it is endless. And God wants you to delve deep into his word so you can discover his identity. He doesn't want you to delve into his word so that you can find things for you. He wants you to delve into his word so that you can discover him. We see in this verse very clearly that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem, this is a confirmation that he is the Messiah. This is also where we discover that Jesus has is, is been in existence for all eternity. It says, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. Jesus wants to give us the perspective that he has, and it's an eternal perspective. So when you're looking at your life today, he wants you to know that you are a dot in, a, in an eternal atmosphere. Here's the reality of eternal life. Eternal life is simply relationship with God. I submit to you today that Adam and Eve had eternal life and they lost it when they broke relationship with God. And God sent his son so that what could be returned? He says, I've come to give you eternal life. What is eternal life? Eternal life is simply relationship with God and we, we spend eternity with him in that space. And what about Bethlehem? There's so much in all of these verses. No matter how insignificant you think you are, God can bless humanity through you. No matter how low you are, it doesn't matter. Like Bethlehem was a very small community in Judah. It says it in that verse, doesn't it? It says, but you, Bethlehem, though you are little amongst the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be the ruler in Israel. The Lord says to us today that it doesn't matter how small you feel. It doesn't, no matter, where, it doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter how bad a time you've walked through. He says, I can do all things through you. He says, if you remain humble, if you, if you walk in my name, I can do great th things through you and I can actually set humanity through you in your humility. Next one, Zechariah 9.9. 9. says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation. Lowly, riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. I love how this starts. It says, rejoice that he is coming. 
such a great key to worship, isn't it? You know, we're talking, here's a prophetic word about Jesus that is coming. So we accept, so we can, when Jesus does come and when he does ride into, Beth, when he does ride into Jerusalem on a, on a donkey colt, we can go, yes, he fulfills the prophecy. But at the same time, this verse is even giving us a challenge about worship. He says, rejoice that he is coming. See, a key to worship is not that God has done something for you that week. It's not that God could do something for you. It's rejoice that he is coming. When we worship, we worship because of who he is and that he has come and that also he is coming again. But it does, it speaks of the the coming Messiah and his triumphant entry into Jerusalem on a donkey. Jesus ticks all the boxes of the Messiah. He wants you to know from every different angle of your life. He wants you to know through your experience. He wants you to know through prophecy. He wants you to know through Jesus' life. He wants you to know through his everlasting, um, everlasting being that Jesus is the Messiah and he needs to be the Lord of your life so that you can live completely free. It also says that he is just and has salvation with him. See, Jesus didn't take any shortcuts. He didn't, Lord, the Lord didn't stay in heaven and deal with our sin from heaven. He didn't take any shortcuts. He said he is just. So there needed to be a sacrifice made. There needed to be a perfect sacrifice made so that mankind could be set free. So, so God had to send his son because he was the only one who had the ability to be a perfect sacrifice who could set you free. Here's a crazy one, Zechariah 11, 12 to 13. Here's just a story. This is a, this story, this is a, Zechariah is, is one of the minor prophets and he's just telling, he's talking about Israel and Judah separating. Anyway, there's a, there's a small portion in this story and, and, tell, and think about who it reminds you of in the time of Jesus. If it is agreeable to you, give me my wages and if not, refrain. So they weighed out for my wages 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, that princely price that they set on me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord for the potter. And this story doesn't directly speak of Jesus Christ, but it, it, if you think about Jesus being betrayed by Judas, it almost aligns perfectly, doesn't it? 30 pieces of silver are the wages for Judas giving up Jesus' identity. And then Judas gets the revelation of what he does and he goes and repents at the house of God. He repents to the, to the leaders of Israel. But they could not put the blood money into the treasury. So they said, we don't want your money and Judas cast it into the house of the Lord. So they couldn't use the money for the treasury, so they used it to buy a burial ground. And there just so happened to be, at that time, a plot of land available at a bargain price by a man who just so happened to be a potter. What is the probability that all of these details would be fulfilled by chance? God wants to convince you over and over and over that the identity of Jesus is secure, it is solid, it is a foundation because it's as we put our trust in his 
identity as saviour of the world that we can make him lord of our lives and when he's lord of our lives we can live completely free because to live is Christ and no matter what else happens he's gain. The trust that you have in his salvation begins and ends with the confidence that you have in his identity. Is Jesus of Nazareth the Son of God and the Saviour of the world? This is the question that we all must answer every day. When we confront our circumstances, when we confront our relationships, the reality of our liberty, the reality of our confidence comes through, the, through us answering the question, is this Jesus of Nazareth the Saviour of the world? Is he the Lord of my life? See, our trust wanes when we look at our salvation or his salvation from the perspective of our circumstance, from our emotion, from our state of mind, from our behaviour of yesterday. He doesn't want it to wane. He says, what's that got to do with your salvation? He's saying to you, when did you think a good day made you worthy of salvation? None of us are worthy. What makes us worthy is the fact that we commit ourselves to Jesus Christ as our Lord. Zechariah 13, 6 says this, And one will say to him, What are these wounds between your arms? Then he will answer, Those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. This is an amazing prophecy because at first when I read it, I, it, it makes me think of, of just a prophecy about the wounds of Jesus. But, um, and then it says that I received in the house of my friends. And, uh, and I, was, I, was, um, I was looking in John chapter 20 and it describes Jesus appearing to his disciples. Thomas was not there. And said to his disciple friends, he says, I will not believe until I put my hands in his side and finger in the nail holes of his hands. Later on, Jesus did appear. He appeared to all of the disciples and Thomas was there. And Jesus says to them, peace be with you. And he looks over at Thomas and he says, now come and put your hand in my side and your finger in my hand. And then Jesus says this statement to him. He says, and be not faithless, but believing. Jesus says, because you have seen, you have now believed. Blessed are those who have not seen, yet have believed. The question is, what is the source of your faith in Jesus Christ? I believe that this prophecy, this prophecy isn't referring to the, to the wounds of Jesus. I believe that this prophecy is referring to the wound that Jesus received when he, he didn't have the faith of his brother. He didn't have the faith of his friend. See, we tend to gain confidence in the spiritual through the physical. We want to see a physical representation of a spiritual truth. And, God, and Jesus, he gives them to us time and time again. But he's blessed. Jesus specifically declares a blessing toward our faithfulness, especially when we haven't seen. See, God is God whether we see a physical evidence of him or not. And he wants us to have a faith in him no matter what circumstances we walk in, no matter what we have seen or not seen with our physical eyes. He wants us to understand that he has, he has an identity that needs to embrace no matter what our identity or our circumstance looks like. He blesses our faithfulness even more when we haven't seen but simply trust in his identity.
when someone says, you know, the old statement, he is risen, the correct response is, he is risen indeed. Isaiah 53 verse 7 says this, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Jesus is accused of a capital punishment. This is the prophecy about Jesus being silent before, before um, Pilate. He's accused of a capital crime and makes no defense even though he is innocent. How's that for a prophecy? Not only does this establish Christ's identity, this prophecy, but it gives us insights in how to deal with accusation. See, the biggest thing that we do in life is we defend ourselves. Our defensive communication is what, is what dismantles community because we're defending our rights. We're defending our position. And Jesus is saying to us, this is how you look at accusation. You ask yourself the question, who are you defending? See, Jesus could have spoken and quite easily defended himself because he did nothing wrong. But there's a bigger thing at hand here. There's a bigger thing at hand. He was laying his life down so that the rest of humanity could be free. And he's challenging us in our accusations. He's saying, who are you defending when an accusation gets brought against you? Are you defending yourself or are you looking at this bigger picture? Remember that prophecy that says Jesus is eternal. He has been there from the everlasting. He wants us to look at accusation, look at the challenges of life from an eternal perspective. And when we do that, we don't worry about defending our person so much because we're completely free. Our sense of worth isn't our standing on earth. Our sense of worth is in the fact that we are sons and daughters of the King of all kings. Isaiah 53.9 says this, and they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. See, the Romans would have been preparing to bury Jesus with the other criminals. But after his death, his body was taken and buried in a rich man's tomb, Joseph of Arimathea. This is another, this is another of the 300 prophecies about Jesus Christ and his life that confirms that he is the Messiah that, that, was, that was prophesied in, in the Old Testament. See, the plans, here's the challenge of encouragement for you. The plans that God has for you always outweigh those of the enemy. So when you look at something, no matter if it's in your life or in your death or in a challenge or in your blessing, God's plans always outweigh the plans of the enemy. See, God... Jesus spent most of his time with the poor and with the needy and, and challenging those, the, the religious. Yet it was, it was someone who was wealthy that Jesus didn't spend a lot of time with who, who recognized who this man was and went to Pilate and said, can I have this man's body so that I can lay his body in, this, in my tomb? See, even in your death, Jesus can lift you up. Even in your weakness, Jesus can lift you up and bless humanity through you. Last verse, Psalm 22, verse 16. For dogs have surrounded me, 
The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and feet. Here's what makes this verse unbelievable. This is a clear prophecy of the type of death that Jesus would have, a crucifixion. Now, King David wrote these words 800-odd years before Jesus was crucified. Here's what's even more amazing. He wrote these words around 700 years before the concept of crucifixion was even invented. Crucifixion wasn't even invented until about 100 years before Christ. To God, he can do all things. He can, you know, you might, you look at that as a concept of, of a negative thing like crucifixion. God can give you insights into technology that's in the future that you have never even, and no one has ever even dreamed of yet. God wants to, to, he wants to speak into you. He wants you to receive the unctions of heaven so that you can deliver hope on earth. See, David was given insight into something that was going to happen in the future. You can look at that from the angle of prophesying truth. You can also look at prophesying um, Jesus coming. You can also look at it from the angle that God gave him insight into a technology that hadn't even been invented yet, that was still 700 years away. God wants us to be speaking hope to future generations. He wants us to be declaring the goodness of God in generations to come. And he, does it. he gives us example after example. And it's as we embrace and study God's word that we will gain a new measure of confidence in the identity of Christ. His identity is chock-a-block through this book. Now, there are many people. I have conversations with people all the time who read this book and know it better than I do but have no relationship with God. See, the goal is not to get an understanding of this book. The goal is for this book to get you an understanding of how God speaks and how he acts and what he does so that when you see him, you can acknowledge it and you can get on board and you can walk with what God's doing. What does God sound like? He sounds like his word. At the end of the day, these are words on paper. They're the history of God. They're the testimony of God. They're the principles of God, but they're not God. He wants us to get into his word so we can discover him, not so that we can discover the book. You know, I honour the, the men of God who received these mighty words and penned them on paper. But the reality is that this book is a tool to build relationship with God. Jesus is the Messiah prophesied in the Old Testament. My goal for you this year is that you will agree that Jesus is the Saviour and he's exactly who he says he is. That he always was, that he is right now, and that he is to come. Why doesn't the band jump up? Ray, Ray was just telling us how, how horrific crucifixion is and that they used to break people's legs to, um, to, so that they would die quickly, which they didn't do with Jesus. That was just another significance of his bones not being broken. The designer of the universe, he actually did enter his own creation. 
He became a man to fulfill a mission that set us free. Every passage, every word, every letter is deliberate, is by design. See, prophecy is not just about looking to the future. It's about looking at God's total plan from beginning to end. John 6, 39 to 40, Jesus says this. He says, you have, you have your head in your Bibles constantly because you think you'll find eternal life there. But you miss the forest for the trees. These scriptures are all about me. And here I am standing before you right now. And you aren't willing to receive from me the life you say you want. If we read the Bible to get something for us, we miss everything and we end up disillusioned because we tend to disagree with some and we like some others. We love the blessings, we don't like the curses. We love this story, we don't love that story. If we read the Bible to discover the Father, Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit, we will do exactly that and we will understand what true freedom is. And to know him, that is the blessing. To know Jesus Christ as your saviour, that is the blessing. We think the blessing is all these things, but to know him, that is the blessing. We love to discover our identity, but our worth and our peace actually come from our confidence in his identity. You want peace, you want to know your worth. It's not about finding out who you are. It's not about going to find yourself. It's going to find the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Going to find Jesus Christ and giving him your all, making him Lord of your life. Like I said, there are no religious books on the planet that have the audacity to hang their, their, their hat, to hang their track record on their ability to predict the future. The Bible hasn't missed one yet. And did you know that for every prophetic prediction in the Bible about Jesus' first coming, there are eight about his second coming. There's eight to one ratio about his second coming. Here's the thing, church. Jesus is coming again and he's coming for a spotless bride. He wants us to be part of his kingdom. He wants us to declare that he is our Lord of all. He wants us to discover his identity and walk in truth and be free from the circumstances of earth and to know that to live is simply Christ. Do you want to know how the story ends? This is how my story ends. This is how your story ends. God wins. He's glorified. Well, we pray you've been blessed by this message from Noosa Christian Outreach Church. For more information, please check out our website at www.noosacoc.org.au. See you soon.